Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey of George. Please subscribe, like, and comment as I'm your faithful host. I've always been fascinated with the Arthurian legends, the story of King Arthur, his Knights of the Round Table, Camelot, Morgana Le Fay, and the Mists of Avalon, and all else that's included with that mythology. The debate whether the story is real or just a fairy tale has never been resolved. The current consensus is probably just Celtic mythology. I'm not sure I agree. Anyway, another key character in the Arthurian legends is Merlin, the wizard, and he claimed words can cast spells. Spell, of course, is the root for spelling. Merlin was not the only one. Virtually all medieval cultures taught that words have a magical power. They did, and they still do. So powerful words can be, we still use taboo deformations in our language today. Gosh darn it, dag nabbit would be good examples. For centuries, cultures used pseudonames for bears and wolves for fear if they uttered their real name, the wolf or bear would appear. Crout Dracula would never refer to wolves by their native name. He used the euphemism, children of the night. The words wolf and bear in those days were curse words. I remember reading of an experiment years ago. Two different groups were shown a video of a car crash. After viewing the video, one group was asked if they had seen the broken headlight. The other group was asked if they had seen a broken headlight. The group that was asked the and not a was three times more likely to have seen the broken headlight. Think about that. The next time proper grammar gives you a choice between the use of those two articles when preceding a noun. Oh, and by the way, there was no broken headlight. Words do indeed have power. On the sunnier side, think what else these ethereal creatures can do. Words have the power to create sublime thoughts, ecstatic feelings, and soaring imagery in the minds of other people. Yes, indeed, we can spell our words into existence. In my new online class, I named the first module Speech Mechanics. I use the term to refer to anything regarding a speech that is not the words themselves. This would include gestures, voice, that would be variety, pace, pitch, tone, appearance, facial expression, and many other concepts I'll be discussing in future videos. The reason I spent the first few minutes of this video talking about the power of words is because I want to dispel, there's that root word again, I want to dispel a myth. Still widely taught in public speaking training courses today is the Merubian model, also known as 73855. The model was developed by Albert Morabian, a professor of psychology at UCLA. He combined two of his experiments on how people are influenced by speech. The results showed 7% were influenced by the spoken word, 38% by the tone of voice, and a whopping 55% by body language. This is almost universally accepted as true and accurate. It's not. It's widely misunderstood. For most speeches and speakers, this model is way off. Imagine hearing a speech given in Pig Latin while the speaker flails their arms and in tones like Mickey Mouse. Not a chance the audience would understand 45% of the speaker's message. Or another example, a person giving a lecture on how to sequence the DNA of Alaskan Malamute. 
his or her words would be a hell of a lot more important than just 7%. Merubian's experiment was dealing with feelings, emotions, attitudes when there is incongruency among the three components of the model. Example, I say, I'm really glad I'm happy today. Of course, the actual words mean almost meaningless, mean nothing, given my tone and convoluted face. Here's a recent and real-life example of when the Merubian model would be applicable. Uh, that you had a number of meetings with Jeffrey Epstein, who, when you met him 10 years ago, he was convicted of soliciting prostitution from minors. What did you know about him when you were meeting with him, as you've said yourself, uh, in the hopes of raising money? Uh, you know, I had dinners with him. Uh, I regret doing that. He had relationships with uh, people he said, you know, would give to Global Health, which is an uh, interest I have. You know, not nearly enough philanthropy goes in that direction. Uh, you know, those meetings were, were a mistake. They didn't result in... Uh, what he purported, and I cut them off. You know that goes back a long time ago. Now uh, there's, you know, so there's nothing new on that. It was reported that you continue to meet with him over several years, um, and that, in other words, a number of meetings. Um, what did you do when you found out about his background? Well. And you know, I've said I regretted having those dinners. Uh, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing new on that. Is there a lesson for you, for anyone else looking looking at this? Well, he's dead, so uh, <laughs> you know. In general, you always have to be careful. Uh, and you know the, you know, I'm I'm very proud of what we've done in philanthropy. Very proud of the work of the foundation. Uh, you know, that's. That's what I get up every day and focus on. I think it's a fair interpretation that Gates' body language belies the actual words he speaks regarding Jeffrey Epstein. He keeps losing eye contact with the interviewer. He's fidgeting, folding his hands, crossing his arms, and his disfluencies, speech disfluencies, ums, ahs, you knows, increase measurably compared to his baseline. Now, I could show you a clip of Martin Luther King's speech. In fact, I will in a few weeks. And of course, his body language would be important, but it wouldn't come close to an influence of 55%. Not only because of the integrity of his message, but because of what he does with his words and the majestic use of his voice would have a much more impact than 7 and 38% respectively. In fairness to Professor Marubium, he is on record claiming that his model was and is widely misunderstood. But in my mind, his model is still useful and that it separates the spoken word into three essential components, which make crafting, dissecting, and improving a speech a much easier task than it otherwise would be. Another interesting aspect of the Merubian experiment is that it confirms something we all know intuitively. If a person's words and body language are in conflict, people will overwhelmingly select body language to be more truthful. Think about the famous debate between Nixon and Kennedy in the 1960 presidential election. 
a time when the population received news almost equally divided between radio and television. People that listened to the debate on the radio thought Nixon won. And people that watched it on television thought Kennedy won. For the skilled speaker, these three components will have a much closer distribution than 738.55 suggests. Unless a speaker is extraordinarily gifted in one component of their oratory skills, how a particular audience member is influenced by that speech will say more about the individual's preferred sense for processing incoming information than it will about the speaker's output. You see, each of us favor or favors one or two senses over the others. Therefore, a speaker should always aim to engage all five senses in any given talk. Another important concept of oratory that will be explored in future videos and podcasts. But for today, that's all there is. Please subscribe, like, and comment. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, pull up those bulls, sail away from the city, catch the trade.